Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to TW Now. In this week's Tomorrow's World telecast, Mr. Richard Ames asked the question, why the universe? Uh, for many, the universe is a great unknown, full of asteroids and, and inhospitable planets. Uh, astronomers and cosmologists see space as a place to, to seek the answers for our most difficult questions. Where we come from, how we got here, and questions that, uh, that plumb the unknown. But through human eyes, it is still a universe explained. Uh, our program today will take on the challenge of providing insight into what is missing in man's search for meaning from the universe. So I'd like to introduce our guests for today. First of all, we are going to have a follow-up where we are able to ask questions to Mr. Ames, who provided the telecast for, that was aired this week. So welcome, Mr. Ames. He is an evangelist and presenter on the Tomorrow's World program. Uh, he's also written for Tomorrow's World on this topic. In fact, if you look at today's commentary in the Tomorrow's World website, you'll find that he's written a commentary titled Stephen Hawking and the Universe. So welcome, Mr. Ames. Uh, we also have Mr. Wallace Smith, likewise one of our presenters, and he has also written uh, articles on the universe. Well, not on the universe as a whole, but <laughs> written on the topic of the universe. Uh, for example, an article titled, Do We Live in a Multiverse? So, welcome, Mr. Mr. Smith. You bet. Thank you. I, I, was, I was fascinated to, uh, to read the article, Multiverse. I always thought of Bible verses, but multiverse was a, a new one on me, so uh, appreciate that, that article. Now, I, I do want to mention to the audience, uh, if you'd like to ask a question about today's program, some of the things that we touch upon, or, or if you'd like to ask, ask a question as a follow-up to Mr. Ames' uh, telecast. And if you haven't seen the telecast, it's very easy to find if you just click on the website, look for the telecast, look for this week's telecast. Uh, go ahead and ask a question of Mr. Ames. We'll try to squeeze in a couple of, of the questions as the program goes along if we can. Uh, also, on the commentary today, if you haven't read the commentary, you have an opportunity to do so. Also, uh, certainly we'd entertain questions that would uh, have to do with the commentary. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Now, you've obviously both given a great deal of thought to the meaning of the universe. <laughs> Uh, and I'd like to personalize it a bit as, as we begin. So, uh, Mr. Ames, how did your personal interest in the stars begin? Did you ever have a telescope or, or that type of thing? Well, no, I never had a telescope. But my father taught me as a boy to look up the stars and find the North Star. That was the one key. You want to know where the North Star is. <laughs> and also where the Big Dipper, the Small Dipper, and also Orion's Belt and the Pleiades, the Three Sisters. So that was my beginning interest in, in the universe, or at least our little universe as boys and, and children. Mm. And then, of course, uh, later on when we were exposed to uh, the Palomar uh, Observatory and the telescopes being in Pasadena, California, we had Mount Wilson. That's the historic 100-inch mm -hmm. telescope. That was the one so significant that... Uh, you know, Hubble worked there, the Hubble telescope. Hubble was the one that worked there, and that's where Slipher began to find his um, understanding of an expanding universe. We'll get into that a little later. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've been able to uh, have a tour of Mount Wilson uh, Observatory, and I would encourage all our audience to see observatories. Uh, Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles, I got to look through that telescope. 
at wow. the moon, at the observer, uh, at the uh, uh, Griffith Observatory. So there are many different. Um, uh, oh, there's another one too. The other uh, Kitt Peak Observatory, uh, southwest of uh, Tucson. My my wife and sister and brother-in-law visit there. It is the largest solar telescope in the world. It's southwest of Tucson, Arizona. Okay. So anyway, I would encourage uh, our viewers to see uh, uh, tele telescopes through the planetariums and, and uh, observatories. But uh, that, that began my interest. And in, uh, later on, uh, I'll get to that later, A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking uh, got me more interested as well. Mr. Smith, what, what about you? Were you a, well, a, an amateur astronomer as a nine-year-old, six-year-old, uh, or eight-year-old? Uh, yeah, I wish, I wish I could say it was a little as grand as that. Uh, actually, I, I like science fiction as a kid. I like Star Wars. I like aliens and such. But I was blessed to be growing up in the time when uh, the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 missions were going on, and they were sending back photos of, of Jupiter, these close-up pictures. And so then, not long after that, I had a small telescope, really more for land observing, but I'm, I'm going to point it up at the stars, and so I did. And it was a real bright star, I thought, one night, and focused in on it late at night. It was about 1 o'clock. I probably should have been in bed. And as I did, and I brought the star into focus, expecting just to see a white dot, and it wasn't, it was Saturn, and it was tilted uh, towards the observer. I mean, it was at, at its greatest tilt when you look up the data, and you saw the rings on either side, and I just stood up and thought, whoa, oh, I can't believe it. It just, it just grabbed you that here's this magnificent thing out in the sky above you, and you don't even know it's there, and yet it's there so frequently. And it just, I don't know, just kind of lit a little bit of a fire. I've always, since then, really enjoyed space and thinking about it. I, I have to, uh, surely, you must have the iPhone app with the yeah. stars, the constellations, the, you have the iPhone app, you can point it up at the skies. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, and you move it around and, and it follows you so you know where the star, what the stars are and everything yeah. else. Okay. Yep. How about that. The, you can see through the Earth and see what's on the other side? So you Superpowers. Have, okay, very good. Right. So now that we've got that cleared up, okay, <laughs> let's, broaden, let's broaden the scope a little bit, okay? Um, again, as a follow-up from particularly Mr. Mr. Ames' program this mm -hmm. last week, why? Why is it that, that we as humans have this fascination with the stars? What, what, do you, what do you think? Well, it was obviously from the beginning. Uh, the heavens are actually a sign of keeping time. Uh, you go into Genesis 1 and it tells us they were for signs and for seasons. So we have a calendar that was created. We have the Gregorian calendar as a Roman calendar now, but God uh, instituted the... Uh, what we call this, the lunar calendar when uh, Moses came out of Egypt. You read that in Exodus, the 12th chapter. He said, this is the beginning of months of, of Abib. So in our local system, we have this, the sun, the moon, as a way of keeping time in the calendars. And uh, so you, you go back into history, and, and uh, ever since that time, of course, the Jewish people have been keeping track of that uh, calendar and uh, tells us in Romans that that is one of the responsibilities of the Jews to keep the oracles of God. So uh, the heavens have a, a very meaningful, at least in our solar system, of keeping time. In fact, um, even uh, Penrose and, uh, and uh, Hawking talked about the beginning of the universe, uh, that the laws had to be in place for the universe to expand the way it did, precise laws were there at the beginning of the universe. So they realized there had to be a set of laws right at the beginning of the universe that 
predicted and made the universe as we see it. So time and talking about time and timekeeping, understanding the passage of time mm -hmm. uh, is something that goes certainly back into antiquity. Is there another reason you think that uh, ancient man as well as modern man, is it something we have in common that there's a, there's a fascination with uh, the heavens above? Mr. Smith, what do you yeah, think? I, I think so. I, I would chime in with, with what Mr. Ames just said. I think even if we ask ourselves, do we long for anything larger than us? I mean, I do. and I'm, I'm pretty large. Uh, we all long to be a part of something greater than we are. I think it's the same thing that appeals to us about uh, the superheroes that we see in movies these days. Uh, we long to be like Superman and be uh, able to do greater things and larger things. And uh, anciently, King Solomon, very wise individual of, of, of the past, said that very thing, that eternity has been placed in our hearts, that somehow as a part of our design, we long to uh, exceed our boundaries for something greater. And what represents the, the greatest exceeding of boundaries to our eyes, I think, is the universe around us. We long to know about it. Mr. Ames, if you don't mind, we were talking earlier about the pyramids and how right. even mm. ancient uh, edifices like the pyramids have a, 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 an astronomical component. Uh, perhaps you, for our audience's sake, you could follow up and tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, we had the uh, World Tomorrow television crew actually go to uh, Egypt and we actually went inside the Great Pyramid. That was mm. when we were taping the program Lessons of the Exodus. And in, we actually went up to the king chambers, so that was quite a wow. privilege. But there are what is called star shafts going out from the pyramid. The south-facing shaft uh, supposedly connects with uh, Orion's belt. The north-facing shaft uh, is into the northern, they say random stars in the north. But they're trying to predict what constellations were actually there depending on the date of the pyramid. Hmm. But it's interesting. Uh, those shafts, are, when you look at those tons, 20-ton blocks, how can you manufacture and create a shaft that goes up through those tons right out to the outside and see directly to the heavens? It's amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so, so the fascination has, uh, has existed not just in, in modern times, right. but all the way back in antiquity. We talked about the pyramids. Um, you mentioned Stephen Hawking before, and uh, he's, he's, he's pertinent today because he just died, what, a week ago. And uh, you mentioned him in your commentary, Mr. Ames. Yes. What, what's important uh, in terms of Stephen Hawking and, and the universe and uh, knowing what, he's, what his thinking well, is? Well, of course, maybe you saw the movie A Theory of Everything, actually, uh, in the book. Of my, my wife and I, uh, Dr. Meredith, uh, saw that movie. Just a fascinating movie. At age 25, he's uh, diagnosed with this, this disease and given only two or three years to live. Now he just died at age 76. But he's known for promoting the science of quantum mechanics and the dark holes. And it's just the, the book that he wrote, uh, uh, Brief History of Time, it's just fascinating. I'll just give you a quote from here, what he's saying that, what his, his purpose was. He says on page 13, Provided the universe has evolved in a regular way, we might expect that the reasoning abilities that natural selection has given us would be valid also in our search for complete unified theory, looking for a unified theory, and so would not lead us to the wrong conclusions. He says, um, today we still yearn to know why we are here and where we came from. Now that's not uh, astronomical, that's mm -hmm. philosophical. 
Why are we here? Humanity's deepest desire for knowledge is justification enough for our continuing quest. And our goal is nothing less than a complete description of the universe we live in. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, he's looking for knowledge and a description. Of course, the black holes and uh, quantum mechanics, Mr. Smith can comment more on that. Uh, but the description of the universe, I, I think one of the things that was in the commentary uh, is that just two years ago, when I grew up, I was told, and you know, you probably knew years ago, how do you describe the universe? A hundred billion galaxies, each one with a hundred billion stars. Well, then it was up, NASA said, no, it's 200 billion galaxies. And now two years ago, Hubble Telescope looks into this vast dark area and voila, discovers many more uh, galaxies. So now it's off by a factor of 10. So instead of 2 billion galaxies, 200 billion galaxies, it's 2 trillion galaxies. We had a, a typo in the commentary that said 200 trillion ga galaxies, so that's been corrected. So uh, now we're up to 2 trillion galaxies, and we live in one. What, uh, what are all those galaxies doing there? What about the theory of multiverse? We actually had a question here. Uh, <coughs> some say the theory of multi-universes multi is an attempt to explain things without a beginning or a creator. Is that true? Mr. Smith, could you comment on this multiverse uh, concept? Yes, I, I, can, I can comment, but I'm glad I have a glass of water in case I have to rinse the taste out of my, out of my mouth. Uh, I would say yeah, yes, it is. In fact, there's an article we've also written that, uh, that I wrote for the Tomorrow's World magazine. Where did the, I think it was Where Did the Universe Come From? Uh, oh, no, actually, it might be the multiverse article. I can't recall which one. I've written both of those. But, no, it's the multiverse article. In that, there's a, a Discover magazine comments on a physicist, actually it's a quote from a physicist who says you either have to have the multiverse or God. Huh. It's one or the other. Now that's their perspective. Actually, I don't think they can explain the multiverse without a God either. But it very much is, and that's one of the things I regret about Stephen Hawking's work. Uh, his, uh, I don't know if it's his most recent, but definitely it was a more recent book, uh, The Grand Design. He and Leonard uh, Mladenov actually essentially claim that. The book is an apologetics for a universe without God by saying there's a multiverse and there's no need for God to, to have created all this. We're just like a, a lucky coin flip in a universe uh, full of coin flips. So it sounds like Stephen Hawking went back and forth on uh, believing in God or believing in a God or believing in a force or, or not. Uh, what do you think he, be he believed? Uh, actually, Mr. Ames had a comment the other day yeah, as a I quote think, from somebody. Uh, Carl Sagan uh, gives an introduction here to uh, the history of time. Right. Uh, and he tells uh, that uh, Stephen Hawking mentions God many times mm -hmm. in this book. But his mention of God is more philosophical and rhetorical. Nonetheless, what Stephen Hawking concludes this book, and also the same conclusion appears in the book, The Theory of Everything. There's the movie, The Theory of Everything, and there's the book, The Theory of Everything. The same conclusion is in both books. Let me just read the one from the, uh, this, the brief history of time. We shall all, then we shall all, philosophers, scientists, and just ordinary people, if we find this theory for a complete theory, be able to take part in the discussion of the question of why it is we and the universe exist. Mm -hmm. So he said he had this mission to have a complete description of the universe. Mm -hmm. That's scientific. That's not philosophical. Why? 
the question of why it is that we and the universe exist. Did he ever come to a conclusion of that? No. But he says this, the final sentence, if we find the answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason, for then we would know the mind of God. So we must know why we're here, why the universe exists, and did he ever find the answer to that? Now see, that's, that's part of what frustrates me about Stephen Hawking, because you see that transition. At least he seemed potentially open. He has as a comment in the Brief History Time where he says that, you know, the universe, there's these laws in the universe and such, and, and what, what was it that breathed fire into those equations to make the universe? But then you go forward to uh, the, the last book, The Grand Design, and he takes a completely different position where suddenly he feels that, man, philosophers and thinkers, he actually says in that philosophy is dead, there's no need for it anymore, science has answered the questions, the universe exists for no particular reason, uh, rather as long as there's laws like gravity, uh, then it's just going to happen, universes will make themselves, ours is one of many, and there really is no answer or purpose to anything. In fact, he explicitly says that there's no need for God. What he doesn't say is where did that law, where would those laws come from? They, they don't address that. So, so that really leads us to the next, the next question. Mm -hmm. why, why is it with all of this, uh, all of this uh, uh, philosophizing and all the calculations and all the theorizing, why is it that we seem to, as humans, have pushed God, want to push God, or have mm -hmm. pushed God out, out of the picture? We, it's, it's as if we come right up to the edge, but we, we cannot acknowledge a creator. Well, this answer is very simple. I'm, it's right here in Romans, the first chapter, if I can find it here, uh, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the behavior of human beings. And he says in Romans 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So the universe, in essence, is its own proof of God's existence. But why do people uh, resist? Because you the context there is on human behavior. Mm -hmm. And you realize a book by uh, Huxley, um, he was saying, we, we design, we say there is no meaning to life because we don't want meaning. If we have to have meaning, that will affect our sexual behavior. In other words, there's carnal behavior and reason for not wanting to know there's a God who tells us how we have to live our lives. Yeah, I, I appreciate the same thing Paul says there, that they, did, they didn't want to retain God in their minds. They didn't want to keep that in mind. And it reminded me of, uh, when I look at Mladenov and Hawking's work, they have to presuppose that before the universe was able to come into existence, these laws existed. Mm -hmm. So somehow pre-universe, there's already all these laws that are just ready to craft a universe. But what it seemed to me, and my wife and I were talking about it this morning, that it's what they've made as a God substitute. Mm -hmm. Because if, if God, quote unquote, is just an abstract body of laws like gravity and the rest, there's no moral obligation to a, a list of abstract equations and such, and you're simply free to order your life however you think is right. And I personally, I, I agree. I think that's part of the appeal. So, so can we then harmonize God and the existence of God with the universe? Can we harmonize the two? Is there, does an understanding of God and a recognition of God, does it unlock something in terms of our, of our understanding that'll help us to bridge that gap 
that is left by human reasoning alone. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Well, uh, obviously, what is the missing dimension from all of this? Uh, we've said for years the Bible is the foundation of knowledge. Why? Because it reveals a spirit dimension. Those who are scientists have, uh, what, nine or ten dimensions that they 11. come up with? Uh, 11, Eleven different right. dimensions. And many of them, the forces, the magnetic forces, the, the other forces you can tell about, are invisible. But they cannot accept another dimension, which is a spiritual dimension. And that spiritual dimension is revealed in this book, and of course by God's own Son who came to this earth and was dead and was resurrected and became born into the kingdom of God, as it says in Revelation 1-4, to live in a spiritual dimension. So what is missing is the spiritual aspect of human life, where humans have the religious teaches the false doctrine of an immortal soul, but don't understand that there is a spiritual dimension even to the human mind. And that's what psychiatrists and the great thinkers are, let's say, ignorant of. It tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, there is a spirit in man. That's not an immortal soul. And we've had, uh, of course, Dr. Robert Kuhn in uh, Plain Tooth Magazine years ago, along with Mr. Herbert Armstrong, uh, who has uh, got his doctorate in uh, brain uh, research, and realize how do you describe the difference between animal brain and human mind? They're both similar in physical uh, components, but the output cannot be explained by physical methods. And so Dr. Hume, uh, Dr. Kuhn, uh, pointed out it had to be a non-physical dimension. So what we have learned over the years and through what the Apostle Paul says there in uh, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, spirit in man. Human brain plus the spirit in man equals the mind of God or a human mind. And psychi psychiatrists don't know that. They, they should know that. But that is a, an amazing truth. So what we have is a spiritual dimension in the human beings, but those who reject the spirit of God cannot understand the things of God because they're rejecting a reality. What is the greatest reality? We can discuss that. The greatest reality is, you can say it in several ways, God is love, 1 John 4, verse 8 and 16, and God rules supreme. He is the I am. That's the greatest reality. So what we find is that we're living in a physical environment with human understanding, but the spiritual understanding is missing. That's the gap. Talk about the Bible and and uh, uh, principles and and instruction and, and facts that he that God brings into and pr reveals to us through the Bible, in terms of of, uh, of the universe and space. Is there somewhere? Let's say uh, I'm the man on the street. <coughs> I never even thought of the Bible and and God having any application to. The world around us, where would I go in the Bible? What can I learn about space and the universe uh, by going into, into God's Word? Is there, uh, what would be your favorite scripture that talks about, about that? Oh boy, you know, I, 
on one hand, I kind of hate favorite scripture because I questions because sometimes I'll say, oh, this is my favorite scripture. Then someone will remind me the next time I say that. Neil, last time you said this other scripture was your, was your favorite scripture. But uh, one of mine is in Job 26 when Job has been, uh, the patriarch Job has been recounting all of these amazing aspects of, of the universe around us, the world around us. And then he says that really these things are the mere edges mm. of his ways. That rather, and it's only a small whisper. It's like we're just barely hearing of his might, but really the power of his thunder. If we just saw the fullness, we wouldn't even be able to comprehend it. I think to the man on the street, if he wanted to learn anything about God and, and in a way that might open him to understand that he needs something revealed to him that he doesn't have, then just look all around you and imagine what kind of being would it take to create all of this. And understanding that is barely a drop in the bucket. Uh, he's trying to introduce him himself to you in multiple ways, and one of them is the universe he gives around us. So the Apostle Paul, like he says in Romans chapter 1, that the divine things concerning the Godhead really are revealed in certain ways uh, in the creation that he's put around us. Well, if you could speak to an astronomer, uh, Mr. Ames, and, and say, look, the, the, the Bible actually speaks to what you're trying to find. Where would you go? What would you, what would you tell him from the scripture? Well, there's, there's evidence and uh, there's faith. In uh, Hebrews 11, of course, the faith, uh, faith chapter says, now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And again, to get back to the discussion, where did the universe come from? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that people don't want to accept that, but we have, of course, our booklet on the real God, proofs and promises. There are many different proofs. But the Spirit of God is what gives us that understanding, and uh, that gets into, we have time here, I'd, I'd like to answer the, <laughs> answer the question before we, why the universe? I hope we can get to that, that question before we conclude here. Okay, okay. So let's, let's, uh, we're trying to even bring it around to thinking about the universe and, and how the Bible and God's Word relates to uh, answering the questions, and uh, we're scratching the surface, obviously. And I should remind our audience, if you like what you like the discussion and you'd like to add to it or ask a question, please do so. Uh, certainly like us or subscribe to our, uh, our, our podcast, or our, rather our, our, our uh, TW Now program here, and we love to have you with us on a regular basis. But just have a, a few minutes left. Uh, we have a couple of options. Either we can talk about the Big Bang, uh, intelligent life, uh, Martians, or... <laughs> or our physical lifespan and experience in the universe. Let's, let's actually, let's do this. Um, let's, let me ask this. Is there a way that we can experience the, the universe? We have a limited lifespan. We, we only live to, at most, around 100 years or so. Is there a, a way that we can ever experience the universe? Mr. Ames, looks like you'd like to... Well, of course, uh, as uh, actually Hawking admits uh, that... God is outside of time. In other words, time began when the universe began. So God is not affected by time and space. And God is a plan that we also can be a part of that spiritual dimension. I already mentioned the resurrection of Christ. And we can be resurrected into that family. We can become spirit beings. 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, the resurrection chapter. This mortal must put on immortality. 
when we become a part of God's immortal family, we will be able to live in a different dimension that is not affected by time and space, and we can go to the reaches of the universe because we will not be limited by time and space. That would certainly be experiencing the universe, I think, if you actually got to actually visit and punch your card there. So, uh, yeah, I think that would qualify. Just got a couple of minutes left. Let me, let me ask this as we wrap it up. Uh, get, we have an option again. We could explain black holes, Mr. Smith, if you'd like to do that. Or, or, or what we can do is, uh, I can ask this. If you could add something to the article or programs uh, that you've done, uh, what would you add? What is it, uh, Mr. Ames, for example, you had the program this last, that was aired this last week. There's something you could add to it that you would, would have loved to well, bring I would, in. Well, I would just encourage people to get on the NASA website okay. and, and take a look at the, the galaxies that are out there. Awesome, beautiful galaxies. And they're what? How many light years across and millions of years? Bigger than a bread box. But there's a Sombrero galaxy, the uh, Tadpole galaxy, M16 galaxy that's pink. It's just absolutely awesome. So uh, just go on the uh, NASA website and you'll see part of the awesomeness of God's creation, the awesome universe. Okay. Mr. Smith, what would you, what would you uh, like to add if you could? Well, for myself, uh, rather than add to one I've done, there's one I'm working on currently. Uh, we, we're actually hoping to record it today. Is this top secret? It is it's not top secret, I don't we think. Can't we'll share. find this is, out. This is live it's a, it's going a, out to millions. So. It's, a, it's a trailer. Think okay. of it as a trailer. Okay. Okay. Um, why did God create us? That's the topic I'm currently working on. That's the title. A telecast should air in the next season. And in terms of what I would add, there's a certain frustration I have because it is a popular question, mm -hmm. but I don't understand why it's not more popular. I think increasingly people are getting sort of numb and they, don't, they think of themselves just as animals and don't ask deep questions. What I'd love to add is an additional 30 minutes where I just try to convince my audience, if you're not asking this question, you must. I, I can't think of a more important question to ask yourself then why do I exist? Why does all of this exist? What's the purpose of all of this? Uh, because it's, I feel like there's not only the answer to try to get across, but these days we need to try to convince people even to start asking those questions because it will lead them to very important, very important places. You want to and I have been, that's right, I have been donated a book. Uh, Your Ultimate Destiny is exactly the book that I plan on talking about on that telecast because there really are answers to those things, but more people, aren't asking them and they're just settling for living these kind of mundane sort of lives when really there's something so much greater. And let the stars, let the planets, let the NASA website inspire you to ask the kinds of questions that uh, the scientists say don't answer it. There's, there's no, not all scientists, but many say, oh, there's no point, there's no answer, you're just, a, you're an animal. You are not an animal and you should ask those questions. That's what I wish I could spend more time with. Okay. On the Thank programs. you. Well, I appreciate that. Well, it looks like you've gotten the final word. Unless, Mr. Ames, you'd like to add one little uh, point? Well, just again, uh, just look up at the heavens. And if you can't see the heavens, go to a planetarium. Uh, but uh, like Psalm 8, David said, When I consider the heavens, what is man that you are mindful of him? You've put everything under his feet. And Hebrews talks about everything, ta panta, which means everything seen and unseen, the Greek expression, ta panta translated the universe in Hebrews 1 by Moffat translation. It's the universe. You can see the universe. So uh, hopefully people will uh, lift their eyes up into the heavens and realize the glory of God, as it says in 
Psalm 19. Well, thank you. Good place to end, I believe, for our program today. Thank you both to Mr. Ames and Mr. Smith for being with us here. And thank you and our audience for being with us. And come back next week for TW Now, the next edition. Glad to have you with us today. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.